are Locked On Cougars, and this is your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday hump day edition of the show. A lot to get to today. Matt Marshall, National College football writer and insider for the Orlando Sentinel, joins us in the second and third segments to talk about BYU football and also give us the lowdown on the USF Bulls, who BYU will face in October as our play, as our opponent countdown series continues here on Locked On Cougars. We'll also get to our player countdown series in the church and state player countdown as we talk about two players today, A.J. Lolohea and Mitchell Price. We'll break down both of those players for you as well as talking about Zach Wilson being named to the Maxwell Award watch list. It's award watch list season in addition to being talking season. We'll break that down here in the first segment of today's podcast. A reminder for you guys that this podcast is available everywhere podcasts can be found. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and also the Himalaya Podcast app. Please follow along. Give us a good rating and review if you don't mind. Those five-star reviews are worth their weight in podcast gold. And also a secondary reminder for you guys, when you're out and about driving around, whatever you're doing, taking kids to or from practices, making your commute to or from work, plug in your smart device and tell it Play Podcast Locked on Cougars. That way you always stay up to date with the latest in BYU sports news. All right, with that, let's get going. This is the Locked on Cougars podcast for July 17th, 2019. Hi guys, I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for joining us on a Wednesday edition of the podcast. Let's kick things off today talking about watch list season, everybody's favorite time of year. Your name, if you're a college football fan, probably is on a watch list. They should create one of those. Uh, just joking with that, but really, uh, if you're a quarterback who's done anything it feels like, or a running back, wide receiver, defensive end, linebacker, kicker, whatever, you're on these watch lists. BYU quarterback Zach Wilson has been named to the 2019 Maxwell Award watch list that came out on Monday. The Maxwell Award, which is named in honor of Robert W. Tiny Maxwell, has been given to America's top college player of the... uh, Excuse me. The Maxwell Award... Let's start that over again. The Maxwell Award, named in honor of Robert W. Tiny Maxwell, has been given to America's college player of the year since 1937. So essentially, it's the type of uh, award like the Heisman. It's the best college football player plain and simple. Well, Wilson is going to be a true sophomore this coming season. He's recovering from shoulder surgery, but he is among the quarterbacks and the players on this list, and I think it's a a well-deserved honor for him. Of course, he had that perfect performance, 18 of 18 for 317 yards and four touchdowns in the Cougars' 49-18 win over Western Michigan in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. So, I think that it's it's a well-deserved honor for for Wilson. We'll see if any other BYU players get uh, added to watch lists in addition to Wilson, who I think will end up on one or two more as this kind of rolls out over the next couple of weeks. Semi-finalists for the Maxwell Award will be announced on October 29th, 2019, and three finalists will be unveiled on November 25th, 2019. Let's put it this way. Just my personal take is Zach Wilson would have to have an absolutely outstanding year to make the semifinal list or finalist portion of this award but the nice part is is only as a sophomore he's making this list getting that recognition that means that he's on national radars we already saw that with the touchdown club of columbus earlier this year uh things like the davy o'brien award were announced the watch list for the davy o'brien award which BYU quarterbacks used to own it felt like in the 70s and 80s uh, were announced and wilson was not on that list if he has a good year this year you're very likely to see him on that list next year so wilson speaking 
speaking of Zach, I think he's a he's a great player. I think he's going to have a good season this coming year, barring any injury or any uh, late uh, setbacks with his shoulder, etc. But all things considered, it appears it's all systems go for Zach Wilson. He's expected to be leading BYU this coming fall. All right, we'll keep you updated on those watch lists as they come out. If any other BYU players pop up, we'll make sure to cover them right here on this podcast, which is all covering BYU for you each and every day. Now let's shift gears a little bit and get to our Church and State Player Countdown Series today. We're talking about two players today wearing the number 43. We're talking about sophomore linebacker A.J. Lolohea, as well as sophomore defensive back Mitchell Price. Uh, A.J. Lolohea is from West High School, originally signed with Weber State out of high school before serving a mission in Nuku'alofa, Tonga. Uh, is a guy that hasn't necessarily stepped up and really taken control of his opportunities this year. But we've talked about the other linebackers in this Church and State Countdown series. The linebacking core was decimated due to graduation for BYU, so it opened up a lot of spots for guys to make an impression. And AJ is a guy who's expected to make a push this fall. Uh, if he can't make a push this time, he's probably going to be relegated to spot duty and backup duty for the rest of his BYU career. I don't think there's any other nicer way to say that because because there's just a lot of unknowns. There's a big void with guys trying to uh, get uh, spots in this linebacking core. Guys, guys like Chaz Ayu are going to be really expected to step up. And A.J. Lolahea, if he wants to have a prominent role for BYU probably needs to make it happen this coming year. He's got good size to him, 6'3", 235 pounds, so we'll see what happens in fall camp for him. A guy who I know has impressed coaches as a walk-on is Mitchell Price, a 6'180", pound defensive back, a sophomore out of Pleasant Grove High School in Pleasant Grove, Utah. He also served a mission in Billings, Montana. His career totals for, uh, for stats is one solo tackle in his career, but I can tell you this much. The coaches love Mitchell's can-do attitude. He does everything asked of him. He's a special teams gunner. He enjoys that role. He sees it as his opportunity to get onto the field. And with BYU experiencing a glut of defensive backs, which feels like it's the first time in BYU history, a guy like Mitchell Price as a walk-on is indispensable simply due to the fact that he's willing to do anything and everything possible to get onto the field. I have a personal connection to him knowing that his parents live in a family member of mine's ward down there in Pleasant Grove. So I've gotten to know Mitchell's family family a little bit, and they're very proud of what he's done uh, for BYU. Preston Hadley, who is BYU safeties coach, is extremely high on Mitchell, even though he's not his position coach. Mitchell works out with the cornerbacks, but I can tell you this much, that the the coaching staff at BYU overall is very high on Mitchell Price and what he brings to the program as a walk-on. Does he see the field in extensive action this coming fall? I doubt it, but he has proven that he is quite capable of getting things done, and that's the good thing if you're a BYU fan, you want to see a guy like that step up and really show what he can do. So today's Church and State Player Countdown Series highlighting both sophomore A.J. Lolohea and sophomore Mitchell Price as we continue to count you down. 43 days until BYU and Utah tussle in the rivalry game to kick off the college football season on August 29th. All right, we will take a time out here, come back on the other side, uh, get to our interview. Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel National College football writer and insider joins us to talk about BYU and also weigh in on the USF Bulls. He's based in Orlando, so he's not too far away from Tampa, where BYU will be making a visit in mid-October this coming fall to face off against Charlie Strong's squad. We'll talk about that them in the second and third segments of today's podcast 
a reminder a reminder for you, excuse me, before you go, that if your company wants to reach an upscale male audience, then your company needs to be advertising right here on Locked On Cougars and with the Locked On Podcast Network. To get your company connected with this audience, email us at lockedonbyu at gmail.com or email locked at lockedonpodcast.com to get more details about increasing your business. More in a moment. This is the Locked On Cougars Podcast. Welcome back to Locked On Cougars. Thanks again for joining us. A reminder for you guys, when you guys are out and about, please plug in your smart device in your car and tell it to play podcast Locked On Cougars. That way you stay up to date with all the latest in BYU sports news. All right, let's get to it. I had a chance to speak with Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel, National College football writer and insider for the Sentinel down there in Orlando, Florida. He is off jet-setting around the country this week with uh, conference media days underway, but thank him for taking some time to join us. Let's get to this interview. Matt Marshall right here on Locked on Cougars. Pleased to welcome in National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel, Matt Marshall. Matt, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, so we talked about a week ago, you're doing these 130 uh, team countdown, your rankings, preseason rankings for the Orlando Sentinel. BYU checked in at number 56 on your list. I know you guys have surpassed that now, but we're finally getting you on here. Let's go kind of overall right now. What is your perception of BYU entering the fourth year of Kalani Satake's tenure as head coach? Well, I think you saw some definite improvements last year. You know, they they came off that four-win season in 2017. Uh, you know, really kind of uncharacteristic of this program over you know its time. You know, they didn't do a very good job of, of offensively putting up points, scoring, you know, with, with total yards, and then defensively struggled a little bit. But you seem to see that kind of change once they make the, uh, the move to change the coordinator on the offensive side of things. You saw that a little bit of improvement. There was also some injuries and some inconsistencies, but you saw some improvement. I think now going into this season, you expect maybe a little bit more from that. You, just, you got some guys coming back here that should be able to provide, you know, a little bit of help. I know that there's, there's you know, Zach Wilson comes in after playing last year they're going to have some question marks a little bit on the running back situation and then you know up front on defensively but still there's plenty of talent left on this team and the schedule you know outside of the beginning of the schedule which is kind of difficult really for BYU when you get into that you know late October early November part of the schedule I think it really kind of helps them out and opens up a little bit so I I still believe there's an opportunity there to get to a bowl game and and maybe get to a seven eight win type season. What is your perception of BYU been? You're over there on the East Coast. You're a guy that grew up in the Midwest, if I'm not mistaken, but you work on the East Coast primarily down there in Florida. BYU is kind of a far-flung program from where you're based, but what is your perception of BYU been over the years? Well, you know, I think it's a national brand. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, I think it's something that, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, Notre Dame, you talk about some of the other independent programs. I think BYU has been right there. You know, it's one of those brands that has built itself up over the years. Um, and, I, you know, one of the things of being an independent um, is the difficulty of, you know, going into a schedule where, you know, you're going to have to face some tough teams every so often. You're going to have to face maybe four or five power five teams, depending on, you know, the schedule that's set up. You have your rivalry games with Utah uh, and things like that. But you're going to face those tough games, and it's always important to come out of there. If you can come out of there with eight, nine win seasons, get to a, a bowl game, I, I think that's always stood out to me as something that's impressed me about BYU. And I think it's such a, a national brand that you know you're hearing all this talk about what's going on with the the American Athletic Conference 
you know, do they want to add a, a team once UConn leaves? BYU, to me, made sense as a possible, you know, a, a school to go after. So that just shows you, to my mind, what the kind of the national brand that they have established and why they would be able to bring a, a big presence if something, if there ever is some sort of conference realignment in the next couple of years. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the American. You're based down there, UCF, USF, all, all around that area. And the American, they've made those headlines with UConn departing. What, uh, what in your talking with people about the American, is there any trepidation with BYU being out here in the mountain time zone for them if they were to pursue BYU as a 12th member? Well, I think there's there's always some concern with travel. I don't know if it's about it's more about the travel distance. I think you know you have some schools like Orlando and UCF, uh, you know East Carolina. You got some schools that it, it's going to be a long flight. It'll be you know over two thousand, you know over over two thousand miles to get there. Um, I, I, I'm sure there would be a little bit of concern, but again, when you look at the overall package that BYU would be able to bring, you know national exposure. There's a you know BYU has a huge fan base. Um, it's got its own television network. It's got a great deal with ESPN. Um, all those things I think would kind of counteract the whole the travel issue thing. I also think the conference too would work on that a little bit to make sure that the schools, you know, those schools especially that are struggling, wouldn't have to necessarily deal with that. So I think overall that would it would be huge for you know like a, an addition. Now whether or not the conference has decided to make that move, we'll find out maybe a little bit next week when they meet for the football media days. But this idea of having you know, um, a brand like that, which is something that, you know, a lot of the other Power 5 conferences have been really kind of attracted to. We've heard mentioned a couple times for other areas. It'd be interesting definitely for, uh, you know, for what you see, uh, for, the, you know, the American would like maybe think about doing in the future. You mentioned in your first answer, you really feel like BYU kind of set themselves up for maybe an eight-win season this year. You also mentioned the fact that BYU, just is by virtue of being an independent, they play a number of Power 5 opponents this year. They have four in a row right out the gate. Could this year, if they do get to that eight-win mark, set themselves up, you think, with Zach Wilson coming back, presumably for a junior season, for the hype train for BYU to build a little bit this year, and then maybe have a payoff in the year following? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you look at that schedule, you mentioned it's a, it's a brutal, you know, opening, but there are definitely opportunities to win there. You know, you look at Utah, what they've been able to do. Tennessee is, is still kind of coming back with, you know, with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, USC is, you know, I think everyone is curious to see what USC is going to do. You know, can Clay help survive what's going on there? You know, Washington, obviously, is probably the bigger opponent. But I, I think if you survive that early on, and maybe you get a win or two through that early part of that schedule, then you look at the rest of it. There's a chance to get to that eight, eight win, seven, eight, maybe nine win season. Then I think that sets up perfectly for what you're trying to do next year. You know, what I mean, you bring back Zach Wilson, possibly. You've got some more talent here on, on this team. Um, you're going to have some guys defensively who are young, uh, who are stepping into some roles, especially up front on the defensive line. You know, and in the middle of the linebacker, if those guys develop and they can continue to you know make that stride forward. I think there's an opportunity for them to be huge playmakers going next year. So, I mean, this is all kind of playing off of, I think every coach kind of goes through that mentality of how can you continue to improve and get better. And I think that's something they would love to see happen. It could definitely happen, especially if they could put together a strong season. Kalani Satake is a guy that I think a lot of BYU fans are on the fence about. Some some are very firmly in the camp of, hey, extend him, give him a contract extension. He's the guy that's right for this job. There's also a contingent that thinks that, hey, he's still got to prove something here. He comes into his fourth year, hovering around a career record of 500. What is your perception of him as a head coach? 
Well, I, I I'm kind of lean towards you know again you know, it's it's so early you know your four seasons in. Um, I think he needs a big win. I think that's one of the things that will help some of this program. I think you need to to get some of those big wins. You know, you look at his record. You know, they're, they're under him BYU. They're one in five against top twenty five teams. So there's somewhere along the line you got to get some big wins. You got to get a win. Let's say against the Washington team, they'll probably be ranked when they face them. Or you get a win maybe against the Utah. They're ranked. Uh, you know, or, or another program. When you get those kind of wins, I think then that will kind of help maybe quiet some of the, the criticism that's maybe aimed at him. You know, I also think, too, it, you know, recruiting is, is, is such a big deal. If you can get the kids to come in there, and obviously with BYU, uh, you know, with the Mormon missions, I, I think there's always going to be, you're going to have players that are going to come in and come out. I think it's important to be able to kind of manage the roster as, as effectively as you can. And that's something that, again, you know, a, a good coach has been able to do that at that program. I think it's something that he could do. So, to me, in my mind, it's always going to have to be, can you get some of those big wins? Now, if you can't beat those top 25 teams, if you struggle against some of those Power 5 schools, then more than likely you're probably going to feel a lot more pressure, especially if somehow you know, you have another season where, let's say, you win four games like they did in 2017. Then I think really the pressure builds, and it's, it'll be interesting to see what the school decides to do then. Talking with Matt Marshall, he's the National College Football Insider for the Orlando Sentinel. Matt, I know you're based down there in Central South Florida area in Orlando. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about USF, a team that BYU is going to face in October of this season. We'll take a timeout, come back on the other side and talk about that. I want to get your thoughts on the Bulls. We'll do that next right here on Locked on Cougars. Welcome back to Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. A reminder for you guys, when you guys are out and about driving around, make sure to plug in your smart device into your vehicle and tell it play podcast Locked On Cougars. That way you stay up to date with all of the latest news when it comes to BYU sports. Pleased to be joined for another segment by Matt Marshall, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Does an incredible job covering the sport just from a national perspective, but he's also based down there in Florida. Has some unique insight on what the South Florida Bulls are doing team that BYU will face this coming season in October. They make the trip all the way to Tampa. Matt, I look at USF and they're a really interesting storyline. They ran out that record. It was 7-0 and then they collapsed going 0-6 down the stretch last year. Which is the team that we've been led to believe? Which team is USF? Are they the team that was 7-0 and or are they the team that struggled down the stretch last year? Well, I, and that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I, I think what hurt for them a little bit last year is they, they got hampered by some injuries. They had, uh, you know, they lost some, some talent there. I think offensively, they the, the, what they were trying to do just really didn't fit what they wanted, you know, early on. Um, Blake Barnett was coming in after, after transferring in. I don't think he kind of was comfortable with that offense. Um, and I just feel like defensively, this is a team that, that definitely kind of did a 180. You know, they really kind of struggled to, to be an attacking defense. They gave up over 32 points last year. Um, I don't think they're as bad as the six-game losing streak it was. But, I mean, I think it's one of those things. I asked Charlie, I remember back at spring, you know, what kind of happened. And, and, you know, he told me, you know, like basically sometimes you get on a roll as you do with wins. It's the same sort of thing on a losing streak. And sometimes you, you try to find ways to fix things and you, and you overcompensate. And eventually it just kind of snowballs into that. And I think that's kind of what they felt like, you know, happened last year. You know, for them this year, it's going to be interesting. You know, they bring in a, a, a new offensive coordinator in Kerwin Bell, who really was a you know former Florida quarterback and was really successful at Valdosta State, a little FCS program that's uh, north of us here. Um, and they 
you know, they were one of the most explosive teams in the FCF. They scored over, uh, you know, they scored over 50 points per game. You know, and Kerwin's got a, a good history with the with the state of Florida, so he's going to help recruiting really well. And that's going to help them out. I think if they can put some more points up on the board, you know, if they can kind of get some consistency, they turned the ball over way too much last year. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for USF to make to make a big push. You know, under Charlie. You know, they went from a 10-win season to 7-win season last year. Um, you know, he kind of needs to have another another big year because if he doesn't, I, I think there might be a little bit of pressure on him because, again, you're now competing with programs like UCF, which is up down the road. They're coming off back-to-back conference championships and, you know, near six bowl games. Um, you know, USF needs to kind of stay in that kind of same range or keep pace with UCF. So I think Charlie knows that, you know, he's going to have to find ways to win some of these games. and I think by adding Bell, that will help them out. And I think also they've done a good job of adding some transfers and also recruiting. He's done a good job of recruiting, especially down in South Florida. Yeah, in theory, returning uh, nine offensive starters and six on defense, according to what I was reading up on, you would think that just continuity, for continuity's sake, they'd have some improvement there. Blake Barnett, well-chronicled story, started out at Alabama, went to Arizona State, and now at USF. Do you think he can improve with his second year in the program here? Yeah, I think so. You know, he seems really committed to it. I spoke with him in the spring, and he told me, you know, that he basically hired a personal nutritionist to kind of go to work with because even though the school provides one, he hired one for his own because he really wanted to work on his health. He really wanted to work on, you know, uh, bulking up a little bit in some areas, getting that muscle mass, making sure maybe you, you cut out some of the fast and things like that. So he's really serious. He's really committed to you know, to getting to that next, to helping out and getting this team to that next level. You know, he likes what Kerwin's offense kind of features. They're going to use a lot of their playmakers out there. Um, and Kerwin says, "Listen, you know, Blake's a, a good quarterback. You know, the the issue that he has is he's got to take care of the football better. I mean, he's got to be a guy to go out there and not make mistakes. I think he threw 11 interceptions last season. That's just too much for him." They want to make sure he can kind of, you know, read the defenses better and, you know, get the ball into, you know, make better decisions and get the ball into those playmakers' hands. So I think Blake feels like everything's going to be better with this new offense. I think Kerwin likes what he sees here. Um, so, I mean, that's a good combination. Anytime you get the quarterback and the offensive coordinator together, um, I think that's going to help down. It could spell good things for him. Again, I think Blake last year, it was a new team, new offense. I just don't think he gelled well with the team right off the bat. Sometimes that happens when you're a new guy. I think now that he has time to, to kind of get to know his teammates, I think that's going to be good news for for USF. You mentioned Charlie Strong. He's got his own well-chronicled history, Louisville, Texas, now at USF. I Just my perception, this is just me. I'm a guy out here on the West Coast in the, in the Intermountain West. I think he's a good coach. What uh, what has been the bugaboo for him, though? What's What's been the issue? Well, you know, I think for him sometimes it's, it's just, you know, maybe it's not the right fit with the style of play he wants to run. You know, I think people forget that Charlie's a defensive guy. You know, he was the mm-hmm. guy that really was on that Florida staff under Urban Meyer, was one of the defensive, you know, uh, strong guys. And so I, I think... You know, when you're a defensive-minded guy, sometimes it's hard to pick an offensive, you know, offensive guy. Um, I think the situation at Texas, personally, I, I just don't think it was a right fit for him. Um, I think he didn't think that the expectations would be as high as they were. Um, I think Longhorn fans really wanted to win right away and win, you know, get back to that, you know, being relevant. And I don't think that happened well. Um, but I think at USF there isn't that much, there isn't that sort of pressure. I think the the, the Bulls fans understand where they're at. Um, this is a program now that is trying to raise money to build upgraded football facilities. It doesn't have an on-campus stadium. They share a stadium with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, they're trying to raise money to build a, an indoor practice facility. 
they're kind of behind in those regards, you know. So he's right now got to be not only head coach, but he's also got to be the face of the program out there, you know, helping out with fundraising because eventually they'd like to get kind of caught up, and that's going to be a big factor with recruiting. But Charlie does have that connection to, to, to the Florida area in South Florida, and that's helped him out as well. So it's interesting. I think if, if, if Kerwin works out and this becomes a, a great move for them, the offense works well, that can help them out again. I think defensively they've got to, they've got to rebound because last year was just really bad. If you can't give over 30 points a game, I think if they can do that, I think that's probably the biggest thing that stood out is, is just finding the right fit on his coaching staff. You mentioned him being a defensive guy. Just looking up and down their roster, they returned their leading sack artist from a year ago, Kirk Livingstone. Only had four sacks, though. Do they? What, what do they need to do on defense to kind of get to playing the style that that you think a guy like Charlie wants them to play like? Well, they need to be more attacking, and I think one of the moves they made is they took Greg Reeves, who was playing linebacker, and they moved him back to defensive end, which was one of his original spots. So I think that'll help out. They need that line to be more attacking. Um, you know, they did a good job, you know, with the passing and the secondary, you know, when it came to the passing uh, defense. But right now, they got to get up there. They got to stop the run. I mean, last year they ranked, uh, you know, 123 out of 130 FBS teams stopping the run. So they've got to do a better job of. of stopping the run, not getting as many penalties. He's got talented kids there, and they've got depth there, but it's one of those things where I think sometimes mental mistakes cost them. And then, you know, like I mentioned later on, when they got in that six-game losing streak, I think things just kind of caught up with them. They were a team, even in the beginning, in that seven-game win streak to start things up, they were a team that still gave up a lot of points. They've got to find a way to kind of limit some teams. That's not Charlie Strong-type football. When he's had success where he was at Louisville and even a little bit at Texas, it's when the defense really kind of stood up and was able to, you know, kind of be more physical and, and outplay teams. They didn't do that last year. They've got to do that this year if they're going to kind of get back to where they want to be. Uh, speaking of this BYU versus USF matchup in October, I believe this is their first meeting all time. USF fans, I feel like this is a fan base that they saw the success. They had a flying start under Charlie Strong. You mentioned the fact that they've been trying to kind of keep up with what UCF has been doing in their own right. What do USF fans think of BYU? Have you had any talks with anybody that would have an insight into that? Yeah, I haven't really, you know, when it comes to specific on BYU, but I know that, you know, one of the things that USF has been trying to do is upgrade its scheduling. And I think adding games against teams like BYU is huge for them. You saw that over the last couple months. You know, they added some, some series with Alabama. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got one with uh, Florida, you know, with Miami. They're trying to add these, these power kind of, you know, uh, conference games or power team games in there to kind of help out. And I think BYU is one of those games. I think that's something that definitely can help them out. And it comes kind of right in the middle of the schedule where, you know, they're going to have an opportunity. They're, they go through a, a difficult start. They've got Wisconsin and then Georgia Tech. But then they're going to have that BYU game. It's going to be their homecoming game. And I think uh, it's not a game I think they're going to sleep on. You know what I mean? I think they understand what BYU represents. Um, and I, I think it's something that Charlie knows from his past that, you know, you, you can't let this team come down here and, and, you know, you can't over, you know, think it and then let them beat you because really that's how things kind of start out last year that kind of got the ball rolling for that losing streak. So they realize that this is a big game for them. And they realize that, you know, when you play these type of opponents, it's also going to look well on your resume when you're trying to maybe possibly get into that college football playoff discussion. 
I think BYU fans and Charlie Strong all have the leap that Taysom Hill made against Texas all those years ago still etched in their memory. <laughs> so I can understand why Charlie might, keep, might be thinking, okay, are we really doing this all over again? All right. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Matt Marshall, college football insider for the Orlando Sentinel. It was a blast to catch up with you, get your thoughts on BYU and also on USF. Looking forward to doing it again soon, hopefully, and we'll catch up with you maybe as this USF game gets a little bit closer, okay? Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, there you have it, Matt Marshall. And I kind of had the same thought with him, and speaking of USF, that maybe they're a team that's not as good as the 7-0 start they had a year ago, but also not as bad as the 0-6 collapse down the stretch for the Bulls in the second half of 2018. Should be an interesting game for BYU. They have a bye week before going to South Florida, so they should be able to leave a little bit earlier to get guys acclimated to both the weather and the humidity down there at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Interesting trip. I think it's an underrated trip. BYU fans, I know in mass, are going to go to games like Tennessee this coming season. But USF, Tampa is not a bad place to go, and I think it would be a good time of year to do it, depending how the weather is here along the Wasatch Front. But if you're looking for maybe a off-the-radar game to go as a visiting BYU fan that you don't want to pay the prices, it looks like Tennessee's charging 50 bucks uh, per seat for individual game tickets for BYU. They understand that BYU fans are coming in droves. But if you want to an opportunity to go see BYU in an away game, maybe you check out uh, the, the USF game. Go to Tampa. You can spend a couple of days in Orlando. Go to Disney World or Universal Studios. See Harry Potter World or go see the new Galaxy's Edge at Disney World. It's a big opportunity. I think it'd be an underrated trip and maybe a trip that's being overlooked by some BYU fans this fall. But thanks again to Matt Marshall for joining us here on Locked on Cougars. Of course, we'll continue to catch it down towards the college football season with our 12 and 12 in reverse with our opponent previews. Uh, next up is the Toledo Rockets, uh, the kind of the, another game that's being overlooked in BYU's schedule, one of the favorites in the MAC this coming year. What does Jason Candle and his team have in store for BYU when they take on Toledo. We'll talk about that with one of their insiders next week here on this podcast. But of course, this week we'll continue to cover all the latest in BYU news and continue on with our Holy War and Church and State Player Countdown series as well. So a lot to get to each and every day. So bear with us as we continue to bring break it down for you, counting you down to the college football season just 43 days away. Thanks again for joining us. Please follow the show on all social media sites, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Locked On Cougars. Follow me at Jacob C. Hatch on Twitter. We'd love to do a mailbag segment later this week, so please send in your questions via social media at those two addresses or email us LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you there and address some of your questions about the upcoming football season. Camp Kalani, BYU Fall Camp is not far away, folks, so get excited. It is coming quick. Thanks again for joining us. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for July 17th, 2019.